If you'd like to open your Bibles to the book of Job, we're going to be looking at chapter 6, Job chapter 6, 1 through 30, the entire chapter that's at page 420 of the ESV Pew Bibles. We're really just still getting started in Job. We just started into the, uh, the poetic section of, of dialogue between Job and his friends. And our prayer is that God would help us understand this book of the Bible. Job chapter 6. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning, we ask for the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would help us understand this passage, understand this chapter. And then, as always, Lord, we also want to seek to apply it in our lives. We pray this in trust, in faith, and in Jesus' name, amen. Icebreakers, team-building exercise, and trust games. I think we all know what those look like. We've probably experienced a few times where we've had to participate and some of those team building exercises or, or get to know you type of icebreakers. We remember the toilet paper roll game. This is where the facilitator has everyone sit down in a circle and they pass around a roll of toilet paper and the instructions are take as little or as many squares as you would like and then pass it on to the next person. And so, you know, people rip off one or two and, and pass it along with Inevitably, there's always one person that is probably desiring a little attention and they, they want to be known as the confident one, so they, they rip off a lot, a lot of toilet paper and they have this big wad and then they, they pass the roll to the next person. It's not until the roll goes all the way around that the facilitator says, okay, now for every square you have, you have to share one thing about yourself with the rest of the group. Of course, then that person looks kind of foolish. Or the trust fall. You remember what this is? This is where one person is selected and they are told to, to stand with their arms at their side. They, didn't, they don't want any arms flailing around. They, they said, stand with your arms to the side, close your eyes, and then fall back. And don't worry because the people behind you, your friends or, or people you may or may not know very well, will catch you. So... That's how it works. Stand as straight as you can. Don't make any attempt to break your fall or slow yourself down. Don't bend at the knees to try to get close to the ground. Just fall back like a tree being cut down in the forest. And they're told to trust those who are behind them. But what if they don't? What if, what if the people behind the person doing the trust fall at the last minute just you know, pull away and allow them to, to hit the ground without anything breaking their fall. Being hurt by a friend is like falling with no one to catch you. It hurts, and it erases all trust. Have you ever been hurt by a friend? I would imagine most of us have, at some point in our life, been hurt by a friend. It's, it's not a pleasant experience. It's like falling backwards and not being caught. Maybe one day a friend just unloaded on you, and with 
raised voice and, and holding nothing back, just finally told you how they really felt about you. They just unloaded. Maybe that happened. Maybe someone who you thought was your friend stole something from you. Okay, that happens. Perhaps they blamed you for something that you didn't do, and then they refused to listen to your side of it. They just didn't even want to hear your defense. And you took the blame. Maybe they ridiculed you in front of others. Have you ever had that from a friend? Maybe one day they just cut you off. They cut you out of their life. They, maybe one day they just said, you know what, we're done. And they had nothing more to do with you, and they never told you why. I don't want to be your friend anymore. Always hurts to hear that one. If you've been hurt by a friend, then you'll be able to relate to Job chapter 6. Because Job chapter, chapter 6 gives us a picture of Job being hurt by his friends. In fact, we see Job's friends failing him. We're going to call this friend fail. Because that's what they do. And from the failures that, that we see, we hope to get some pointers on how to be a friend. So we're going to see how, how do they fail Job as friends. And then from that, we're going to say, all right, not that, but what's the positive? What, what should we do to be a friend to someone, especially in a time of need like Job? How can we be a friend? And then we're also going to see how Job chapter 6 points us to Jesus. And Job in general, we're going to see the, kind of the first installment of Job as a type of Christ. So let's read this. This is the entire chapter. Job chapter 6, friend fail. Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balance. For then I, it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass, or the ox low over his fodder? Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt, or is there any taste in the juice of the mel? My appetite refuses to touch them. There is food that is loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he, should, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in a pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh bronze? Have I any help in me when resource is driven from me? He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed. As, a torrential, as torrential streams that pass by, which are dark with ice, and where the snow hides itself, when they melt, they disappear. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The caravans turn aside from their course, they go up into the waste and perish. The caravans of Tima look, the travelers of Sheba hope, they are ashamed because they were confident. They come there and are disappointed. For you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and are afraid. Have I said, make me a gift? Or from your wealth, offer a bribe for me? Or deliver me from the adversary's hand? Or redeem me from the hand of the, of the ruthless? Teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. How forceful 
are upright words, but what does reprove from you reprove? Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? Would you even you would even cast lots over the fatherless as bargain over your friend? But now be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please turn. Let no injustice be done. Turn now. My vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? So this is Job speaking. It says, Job answered and said, and remember, Eliphaz is the only friend that has spoken so far. But when he's answering and when he's speaking to Eliphaz, he's really, and I think you can catch that from the, from the text, he's speaking to all three. He's addressing to all three friends because they're all in agreement on, on the answer to, to the Job's suffering and what the problem is here. So even though he answers Eliphaz, he's, he's, uh, he's answering all three. He's addressing all three. And then in verse 2 and 3, Job, Job speaks, says, Oh, that my vexation are weighed heavier than the sand of the sea. He's telling his friends how much pain he is in. Let's not forget, in the moment, as he's speaking, he's still in extreme pain. He's still suffering. He expected comfort for them, but they're not giving him comfort. In verse 4, he understands all this is happening is from God. So in that sense, his friends and Job agree. They all agree that this is from God. Where they disagree is why. Why is this coming from God? Job's friends believe he's done something wrong to deserve it. This is punishment. This is quid pro quo. Job understands, no, that's not it. Whatever the reason is, it's not because I've done something that deserves this type of retribution from God. But he does acknowledge the terrors of God are arrayed against him. He understands God is the sender. We looked at that earlier. God is the sender. Verse 5, we have some rhetorical questions about the donkey and the ox. These animals, animals bellow or make noise when they have food and are taken care of? And the implied answer is no, they don't. When, when animals have everything they need and everything's okay, then, then they're not going to protest and make noises like that. Job is saying, look, I'm crying out. You're, you're hearing me because things are not okay. Things are not all right. I, I'm not one of these animals that has everything in place. I, I'm one of these animals that is, is starving to death. I need food. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. And likewise, if all of this was not happening, then I wouldn't be crying out like this. There's a reason I'm saying the things that I'm saying. Just like the animals have a reason for making noise. Verses 6 and 7, more rhetorical questions about food. Uh, again, both answers are, are no. He's referring to the counsel of his friends. The words that his, his friends, we'll put that in air quotes, are offering to him. They're like, the, the words are like unseasoned and tasteless food. He says, I, I don't want anything to do with that. My, my palate doesn't want to touch them. I will not accept your words. In fact, the counsel of a life has is like food that is loathsome to Job. He's not going to eat it. He's not going to take it. He's not accepting what they're, what they're saying. And then verses 8 through 13, this is where Job revisits some of the same feelings in chapter 3. You remember back in chapter 3, uh, that was the, the sermon, just make it stop. Job, Job was crying out in pain. He was expressing his emotion over everything that happened. And there were three things. He said, it would be better if the day my birth hadn't been born. It would be better if that didn't happen than if I was still born. And then if, of course, that didn't happen, then it would be better if God just took me out right now. 
any of those three would be preferable to experiencing the level of suffering that he was going through. So these are some of the same type of, of emotions being expressed. He views his death as the best option to escape everything that's, that's going on. If God would just take him out, cut him off from the land of the living. But he also maintains his innocence. Look at verse 10. For I have not denied the words of the Holy One. This is Job's position. And remember, I said this at the very beginning of the book. This is key. This is one of the keys to unlocking the meaning of the book of Job. We have to understand and accept the fact that Job is to be viewed as the one that is blameless, upright, turning from evil, fearing God. That's how God presents Job at the beginning, and that's how we would understand him going through. So that the idea of Job somehow deserving this never enters our mind. We need to be right here with how God presents Job. God is the innocent one, or excuse me, Job is the innocent one who's not deserved this type of of suffering. So that's where we're going to camp out. And that's where he he, uh, emphasizes again, I've not denied the words of the Holy One. Job has no more strength to endure. He says, it's no use to wait any longer. It's no use to be patient and, and kind of ride it out. It's not worth it. And I don't have it in me is what Job is saying. Look at the more rhetorical questions. Uh, verse 12, is my strength the strength of stones or my flesh bronze? No. The answer is no. I just, I can't do this anymore. I can't physically go on. My, my physical constitution just isn't strong enough to take it anymore. And then verse 14, this is where we get into Job expressing disappointment with his friends. So the first part was more, you know, gushing out of of some of the same themes that we've seen before. But now here we get to his disappointment. He begins with accusing them of withholding kindness from him. Now in the ancient Near East, the the relationship of friendship carried a strong sense of responsibility towards that person. They were to maintain loyalty. They were to maintain support of that person. They were to be there in a a time of need. So for a friend not to support another friend in this time of need was a serious breach of of conduct. In fact, here it's compared to the forsaking the fear of the Almighty. The idea here is that only someone who doesn't fear God would, would treat a friend like you've been treating me. That's how bad it's been. You three are doing that. Thanks, guys. He describes his brothers as treacherous torrential streams that pass away. So let's get the sense of these verses. Verses 15 through 17, his friends are undependable. That's what he's saying. You're undependable. You're not there when I I need you. you. You're not showing up. You're not delivering. You're not making good on the friendship aspect of our relationship when you should have. Instead, you're like intermittent streams. Present during the time of year when water is plentiful, but when hot seasons show up and water is scarce, you're nowhere to be found. You're like a stream that dries up and vanishes. You should show up and show support. Instead, you're not. You're not there for me. You're not helping. Similar idea with the caravan language. You think, well, why is that in there? It's, it's the same thing. He's saying the same thing with different a different illustration about a caravan. Caravans often had to to turn aside from their routes as they made their way through the wilderness and the desert and the dry arid areas. In order to find water, they had to turn aside where they thought water might be and and take a significant detour. So he's describing this this detour 
they, they, they hope, they're confident, but then in the end they're disappointed. There is no water. And Job says, you're like that. I, I thought that you would, you would come up, I was hopeful, I was confident that you'd show up and bring the, this life-giving water of, of support for me and understanding, but instead, you don't give good counsel, you, you give me a dry watering hole. There's nothing there. So he's disappointed with their lack of support when he needed it the most. Verse 21, they, they see Job, and Job's suffering scares them. Remember, he, he was so physically afflicted that he didn't look like himself anymore. He was so emaciated. He was so uh, disfigured by all these sores all over his body. He was unkept. He was sitting in a pile of ash. We can only imagine how difficult it would have been to, to look on him without kind of wanting to turn away or, or making some kind of face that showed disgust. They see him and are afraid. And then finally in verses 22 and 23, he's asking them if he was calling on them to do something difficult or costly. So he asked them, have I asked you for money? I'm asking you to, to, to hand over all your wealth or to bail me out that way. Did I ask you to ride into battle and defeat some enemy for me? Did I ask you to risk your lives and, and ride out and defeat an adversary? And the answer is, no. All I asked is for you to show up and show some empathy. All I ask is for you to show up and just listen to me. Hear me out. Believe me. Instead of dismissing me and telling me your advice. No, they failed. They failed. In verses uh, 24 through 25, we see a challenge. And again, uh, I think we commented on this. As we get into this poetic dialogue, sometimes people tend to skim over this because they read something and think, well, I, I think I know what he's saying there, but I'm not sure. Or, huh, I wonder why that's in there. Oh, well, I'll just skip over the next part. I'm not sure what that means. So, well, we're going to do our best to walk through, and as we do that, I'm, I'm also going to give you, I'm going to give you kind of like a paraphrase. Uh, almost like we're translating it, but it's more like a, a paraphrase or giving the sense of what he's saying in these final verses. So 24 and 25, teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I've gone astray. In other words, Job is saying to his friends, be specific, guys. Tell me exactly what you mean. Tell me exactly what I have done. Where have I gone wrong here? How forceful are upright words? He's saying, don't hold back. Give, give it to me straight. I can take it. Use forceful words if you need to. Be brutally honest with me. Guys, what, where have I gone wrong? But what does reproof from you reprove? In other words, so far you really haven't said anything. You haven't uh, convinced me that you're right and I'm, I'm in the wrong. You haven't made a difference so far. Do you think you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? How are you going to correct me if you're not even listening to me? How are you going to give me correct advice if whatever I'm saying to you is like wind? It's just you don't, you don't pay attention to it. You don't even uh, process it. You're, you're not taking it into account. You're not taking me seriously. Verse 27, you're so cold-hearted you would cast lots for the fatherless and sell your own friend for profit. This is harsh criticism from Job. 
And then finally, an appeal to take him seriously, verses 28 to the end of the chapter 30. But now be pleased to look at me. Say, hey, look me in the eye. Okay? Pay attention. It's me. I will not lie to your face. You know me. Would I lie to you? You you know me well enough to, to know that I wouldn't do that, is what he's saying. If I tell you something, you can believe it. Please turn. Turn now. This is the Hebrew word for turn back or return. Um, it's often translated as return, King James, return, NIV, relent, ESV, turn. Turn back from what you've been doing. Turn back from what you've been saying. Turn back from whatever strategy this is that you've been using so far. It's not working. Turn from it. It's the wrong approach. Let no injustice be done. Don't accuse me of wrongdoing when I haven't done any wrongdoing. That would be injustice. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Have I said anything wrong? The answer, of course, is no. Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? He's telling his friends, don't you think I would know if I had done something to deserve this? Am I going to lie to you and tell you that there's nothing there? Don't you think I would see that? I mean, after all, you haven't been here. I, I, I know my own life. And if I had done something to bring this upon my head, I would tell you. Well, these are some pretty harsh words from Job to his friends, and they highlight the friend fail. This is the friend fail. They're not delivering. They're not showing up. They're not being the the friends that they're supposed to be. So what this does is this gives us a picture of what not to do as a friend. What not to do. And then from there we want to determine how to be a better friend to someone in their time of need. We want to be the person that, that does catch the friend as they fall backwards, not the one that, that pulls back. So as I'm sure most of us are very aware of, God has created us for relationships. Uh, God models the eternal relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, eternally. And we are created for relationship, relationship with God, relationship with one another. God instituted marriage, man and woman, so that there would be a relationship. Children are brought up in the relationship of a family. We're to be these socially connected, relationally connected beings. We're not autonomous uh, um, standalones that, that thrive when we're completely cut off from God and other people. That's just not reality. So we're created for relationships, and that includes friends. Friends can make a big difference in the quality of our lives. Now, the Bible doesn't have a whole lot of specific things to say about friends. It's mostly concerned with the redemption of mankind through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But it does say a few things. Uh, For example, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. Proverbs 27, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And we could probably bring a few more into it, and we could probably look at a couple examples of friends or people that are friends in the Bible, but we're in Job. So we we need to to take a look at what's here. What we have is a significant amount of attention in Job chapter 6 directed at Job's friends who are failing. It's a good place to address the topic of what biblical friendship should and should not like. So we want to avoid a friend fail. We want to avoid letting our friends fall and hit the ground at full speed. So what can we learn? Well, we can avoid committing a friend fail like Job's friends did. As we go through these, keep in mind these are practical takeaways 
They are not biblical commands. They are practical takeaways gleaned from the text. So number one, show up. Which his friends did, right? At least they did something. They showed up. They showed up. They made a long trip covering many miles. They came from all, all different places and they, they made extremely long trips during a time when you couldn't just get in the car and head out on I-80. This was a time when you took great risks, it took great sacrifice. There were all sorts of potential dangers to be traveling that sort of distance, but they did it and they showed up. So the question for us is, uh, if we want to be fulfilling that Proverbs 17, a friend loves at all times, if we want to be a good biblical friend, is showing up always a good idea? And I would say it depends. It depends on your level of relationship with that person. The stronger the relationship, the more likely you showing up will be well received by that person. The stronger the relationship, the more likely it is that you showing up will be received well. Uh, for example, there was a, a man who lost his job and dog died on the same day. And he was having a, a really difficult time with it, obviously because the dog had died. And because he had significant financial obligations and he was concerned how he was going to make it. So he was really having a tough time with it. And he had two people from work. One was in the cubicle next to him, who they talked they talk with all the time. They, they shared a lot of their friends, uh, a lot of their life story with. They did a few things socially outside of work. And then there was another guy, several cubicles and over down, who had started six months ago, and he kind of got introduced once. He waved hi when he was at the copier, but he didn't really know that well. Now, if guy number one shows up, and knocks on the door and said, hey, yeah, everybody heard at work, and I, I heard about the dog, I just, I just want to stop by and say hi. Great, come on in, handshake, hug, spend some time, whatever, five, ten minutes, well received. But if the other guy showed up at the door, um, I don't know, he might begin by saying, well, what's your name again? Oh, yeah, uh, and the, and, and the guy goes, well, I just heard about, you know, everybody at work's talking about it. I heard your dog died. I just want to show up and show some support. Um, no, that's, that's okay. <laughs> Don't come in. Not right now. Relationship. Relationship. The, the more we have a relationship with someone, the more likely we are to receive it. This is especially true in times of grieving, when someone loses a loved one. You understand some people only want to share deep pain and grief with people who they trust and they know. So when in doubt, ask. When in doubt, ask if showing up would be okay. But in general, the greater the relationship, the greater chance it will be well received. But overall, you can hear Job's frustrations because even though they did that right, they showed up, but they made things worse after they showed up. And if we, don't, if we want to avoid being a friend fail, we definitely don't want to make things worse. How is this a friend fail? They weren't listening to Job. I think you caught that in the text. It was impossible for them to help him when they were not listening to him or they were not believing him or they weren't, they weren't taking and, and absorbing and really processing and understanding his words. They were just kind of blowing it off. 
they had decided in their hearts and their minds, you're wrong, Job, you, you don't get it, this isn't how it works. So whatever you're complaining about, we're, we're not really listening to that. We're not taking you seriously. So part of being a friend is listening to them in their time of need. So when friends normally interact, we take turns, right? This is pretty standard social stuff. When we get together with friends or when we see friends, we take turns. For example, after coming back to work after Christmas break or after seeing somebody after Christmas break, and some, one friend says, hey, how was your Christmas? Oh, yeah, thanks for asking. It was great. We, we did our normal thing where we went to my in-laws, uh, you know, and then we had Christmas Eve, we had a church service, and then uh, Christmas morning, it was just our family, and we had a great meal. Oh, and we, we got this game for Christmas, we ended up spending like the next five hours playing this game, and they get all done and they say, so yeah, that was good. How was yours? And then the next person takes their turn, and they tell how their Christmas went, and then at the end, you're done, because you both took your turn. When someone's hurting this much, it's a good idea not to take your turn. You know what I'm saying? Even, even though you might have a lot going on in your life, and even though it might feel really good to have a friend listen as you pour out your stuff, if somebody's hurting this badly, it's better to just listen. Don't, don't take your turn. Don't take your turn. Let them talk. Listen to what's going on in their heart. Be a friend in a time of need. It's fitting to, to just avoid taking your turn. There's one more I think that's important just to mention, almost as an aside. If, if you're showing up and you're genuinely listening to a friend in a time of deep hurting and need, it's also probably a good idea to avoid a friend fail to compare something of much lesser pain to theirs, because I think one of the most first natural responses when we're talking with a friend and they're going through something is to relate to them, right? Oh, I know what you mean, I had this happen to me. But again, I think it's best if that doesn't happen. There, there was a woman that was in the hospital, she was having her, her foot amputated uh, from, from disease. And a friend showed up and, and said, oh, that, that looks terrible. Yeah, I, you know, every once in a while I've got an ingrown nail that really hurts. So I, I kind of know what you, know. you don't know. Yeah, let's not, let's not bring in a comparison that's much less. It doesn't help. Just listen. And then number three, don't try to fix it. Look at verses 23 and 23. Job says, have I said make me a gift? Have I said, deliver me from the adversary's hand? In other words, do, do, am I asking for you to do something for me that's going to that's gonna help out? Am I, am, I, am I asking you for some big uh, gesture? No, he didn't want them to fix things. He didn't want them to do any of that. He just wanted them to listen, to show some empathy. There was a friend who was sharing a problem that they were having in their life. Um, it was a, a family thing, family issues with, the, with his in-laws. And it was a big thing, and, and there was shouting, and words were said, and ultimatums were given. It was just, it was a blow-up, an in, in internal, you know, in-house, intramural family type of thing. And he was telling a friend about this, and the friend, friend was looking kind of with furrowed brows, and then as soon as he finished telling the story, 
the friend without commenting on, oh, that must be terrible, or oh, wow, yeah, that's, that's bad. Instead, they immediately started in and said, okay, you need to go to this person, and this is what you need to say. They wanted to fix it. They, they, didn't, they weren't really listening to all that. They just were focused on, okay, I'm going to be the friend that tells you exactly what to do. Often when someone's hurting or suffering, they're not looking for friends to make it go away or to fix it or to tell them exactly what they need to do or say. If they want advice, they'll ask for it. Hear them out. If we're going to avoid being a friend fail, let's ask questions that will help us understand what they're going through, understand their hurt, understand their suffering, to extend some empathy, understand acknowledgement, acknowledge what's going on, show some compassion. So if we avoid the mistakes that, that Job's friends make, we'll be on our way to someone who can offer genuine friendship at a time of need. We'll be on our way to to fulfilling that Proverbs, a friend loves in all times verse. So in summary, assuming there is a strong relationship, show up, listen, and don't try to fix. But we also want to see how this passage points us to Christ. And as we see, as we're going to go through this book, we're going to see that Job is actually a type of Christ. And you may have heard me throw that out before, but just so that we're crystal clear, I want to throw out a definition. We're going to let Williams define it for us. A type is elements of the Old Testament history that foreshadow the person and work of Christ. So when you hear that term type, you know, that, well, that person is a type of Christ, or that's a type of Christ. That's what we're referring to. Elements of the Old Testament history that foreshadow or point forward to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we've seen this before. If you were here for Daniel, remember Daniel went into the, the lion's den, this, uh, cut out of the rock, the stone was rolled in place, and then in the morning the stone was rolled back, and Daniel, who should have been dead, was alive and came out of the, 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 the lion's den. That's a type. That's pointing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We saw it in Genesis. We saw it with Isaac and the, and the sacrifice that Abraham was going to offer. The father brings the son and is going to offer him as a sacrifice. And in the end, what happens? God provides the substitute sacrifice of a lamb or a ram caught in the thicket. And the blood is shed so that the, 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 the son, Isaac, doesn't have to die. Yeah, that's a type of Christ. The Father provides His own Son as a sacrifice. He takes our place on behalf of us so we don't have to die. He does in our place. We saw with Joseph. Remember Joseph was the favorite son that Jacob loved. And then he was brought low. He was made a servant. And then in the end he was exalted and he was given authority over the entire kingdom of Egypt. It's a type. Jesus, the Son of God, brought low, was made a servant, Philippians tells us. And then, after the resurrection, ascended, was exalted, and was given all authority over heaven and earth. Types. Okay? They're all over in the Old Testament. So, Job, I want us to see, is a type of Christ. Job was suffering. The opening chapters make it clear that Job was blameless, upright, turned from evil, feared God, Yet he was suffering under the hand of God. When fire comes down from heaven and burns up people and animals and property, that's, 
usually a sign that, that, that God is involved there. This isn't like a natural causes type of thing. This is fire from heaven, immediate. So any onlooker would conclude that God was inflicting punishment for something sinful. Therefore, when his friends showed up, when they hear about all this that happened, they conclude that Job had done something wrong and that he was suffering under the hand of God for something wrong. Likewise, Jesus suffered. Passion Week, the cross. Jesus was fully God, fully man. He walked in perfect sinlessness his entire life. He committed no evil, yet he suffered under the hand of God. And so to witnesses of Jesus' suffering and the cross, it appeared as if he was suffering the, the punishment of God for something that he had done wrong. Any onlooker would conclude that God was inflicting punishment on that man. And indeed, Jesus was counted among the transgressors, even though he was sinless. Luke 22, 37, he was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus was numbered with the transgressors by the onlookers. Job was numbered with the transgressors by his onlookers, his friends. You see the parallel? <clears throat> Those that thought Jesus that had done something to deserve his suffering were wrong. Those that thought Job had done something to deserve his suffering were wrong. And in this way, Job was a type that points us to, to Jesus. Now, here's the good news. We can look forward to several ways that Job is a type that points us together towards Christ. This entire book, in fact, I'll make a case later, points us to, to Christ. Whoever places their trust in Jesus will no longer have to pay the penalty for, the, for their sin. So those who trust in Jesus will not be numbered among the transgressors on the day of God's judgment. Will not be numbered with the transgressors. Because Jesus was numbered with the transgressors on their behalf. All of us outside of Christ should be rightly numbered with the transgressors. You should be numbered with the transgressors. I should be numbered with the transgressors. But we're not if we've placed our faith in Christ because he was numbered with the transgressors on our behalf. He took our place. And he took the penalty for our sin. That's how God can remain both just and the justifier. That's how God can remain a just and, and right judge that rules rightly. It's because the penalty has been paid. It's the old courtroom analogy. Okay? If, if you owed $800,000 in parking tickets and you're standing before the judge and the bailiff has you by the arm, but then somebody walks in right before you're sentenced and writes out a check for the full amount, then the judge can rightly bring the gavel down and say, okay, you're free to go. The debt's been paid. It's the same thing with our sin. So, yeah, it's, not, it's not parking tickets, it's sin. Sin against an infinitely holy God. And it's been paid for by Jesus. We can't pay it. We don't have sufficient funds to cover that check. We, we cannot... Uh, live a good enough life or, or be, be nice enough to people or be community minded enough or be generous enough or try to do the right thing enough. No, that doesn't work. We've sinned against God. 
We need a Savior. We need Jesus to walk in and pay the penalty. And praise God, he has. Therefore, because we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we are not numbered among the transgressors. Brothers and sisters, we do not want to be numbered among the transgressors on the Day of Judgment. So we must turn to Jesus. Now we can look at Job and learn what to do and what not to do as friends, but we also realize we'll never be the perfect friend, right? Yes, there's going to be some times where we don't know exactly what to do. There's going to be some times where we don't know exactly the right thing to say. There's been lots of times where I don't know the right thing to say here. I don't know what's going to make things better or or how to show you that I'm your friend. I, I I don't know what to do here. Jesus, in contrast, is the perfect friend. He knows exactly what to do, and he knows exactly what to say. In fact, he's done it, and he said it. John 15, 13 through 14, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What, is, what has Jesus done? He's laid down his life. He was numbered among the transgressors for his friends. That's what he's done. And what has he said? You are my friends if you do what I command you. What has he commanded us? At the very minimum, repent and believe. Turn from your sin. Follow me. Obey my commands. And chief among those commands is is to repent and believe and follow him. So he has done it. He has said it. He's the perfect friend. He will never fail you. You've heard the friend that pays to have friends in high places Who's a better friend than Jesus? What's a higher place than heaven? Jesus is the friend that never fails. We understand judgment is coming. Jesus saves from the wrath to come, but let's make sure we understand this. Jesus saves his friends from the wrath to come. He does not save his enemies. And the Bible makes it clear there's only two possibilities. You're either his friend or you're his enemy. There's only two spiritual camps to belong to. So which is it? Friend or enemy? Friends are going to be saved. Friends are going to be welcomed into his father's house. Enemies are going to be told away from me. I never knew you. Jesus is the friend that will never fail. Maybe you've been hurt by a friend in the past. Maybe as I read off some of those examples at the beginning, maybe you thought, yeah, that one. Maybe you've experienced what it's like to be on the receiving end of a a friend fail. Jesus Christ will never fail you. On the authority of Scripture, I promise you, He will never fail you. It is impossible for Jesus Christ to fail you as a friend. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do have a friend in Jesus. We thank you that this friend has gone to the cross. He's risen from the grave. He's taken the penalty on our behalf. He was numbered among the transgressors. And Father, we give you thanks and praise that because of your grace and through faith in Christ, we also are counted as his friend and not as a transgressor. We're a friend. You count us as friends of God. Father, as we make our way through this life, we, we are so thankful that we have Jesus as a friend, and we also ask that we would be a friend that loves in all times. 
Give us the, the wisdom and the discernment to know what to do, how to do it, what to say, when to say it. When we have a, a friend that's hurting or suffering. And Father, may we always point people to, to the ultimate friend that never fails, and that's Jesus. Amen.